But tonight I want to look at why this question was being asked. And the title of the message is, Are Only a Few Being Saved? This message is a very convicting message. It will be a strong message on salvation. You know, last week we, as we were going through prayer, I really felt a stirring that the Lord was telling me to try to wake us up, that I myself need to constantly be woken up because we could slumber in our own troubles. We can slumber in our own sorrows. And as we are kicking off the new year and going into a season of fasting and prayer, some may be coming to church for the first time, others may have been coming, and you're looking to recalibrate your spiritual life for the new year, making New Year's resolutions and things of that nature, which is not necessarily a bad thing because what it's doing is you're saying, I need to change some things in my life. And you're looking at this time to start something new. But I think it's a good, a good time to, to give a fresh look of our first importance, which is our salvation. What does it mean to be born again according to Jesus' own words? Have we applied these words to our life? The Bible says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. So that means when you read a verse of Scripture, you are to stop and examine yourself and see if these Scriptures are alive and well on the inside of you. Second Peter 1, 10 through 11 says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. You know, we'll be looking at the book of Luke. And the question comes out of a discouragement from the disciples. The thing about the Bible and the teaching on salvation and regeneration and conversion really leaves no room for guesswork. The Bible really wants you to know if you are in the faith. The Bible wants you to not have confidence in your salvation. For example, if you read the book of 1 John, it gives you tests to see if you're in the faith. Now, Jesus' words here are very discouraging. I want you to see point number one, there must be a decisive entry, which means there are few that find it. Luke 13, through 24 says, and he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. The reason they asked him this, because Jesus would lay the gospel out so many times in exact terms, he would literally draw a line in the sand, no matter who his audience was. And if I had time, I would go through the conversation between him and Nicodemus. He never minced words. If you think a crowd is success, then Jesus' ministry was the ultimate failure. I want you to understand tonight that you and I do not trip into heaven. We do not fall into heaven. We don't just end up there. I think... 
many subconsciously think we're just all going to heaven some kind of way, and I feel like it waters down our evangelism. We need to know that not everyone is going to heaven. I stand in front of many caskets, and every time I look down, I think to myself, I wonder what they are seeing right now, whether it's good or bad. There must be a decisive turning point in your life. There must come a point in your life where you turn from the ways of the world. You repent and you turn from sin to righteousness. There must be a point of surrender in your life. We enter through a narrow gate. This narrow gate is not broad or wide. It's very narrow. In other words, it's only room for one person at a time. You don't go in as a couple. You don't go in as a family. You don't go in as a group. You enter by yourself personally. Jesus had to clarify this because in the culture of that day, they felt because they were religious Jews that they were in, or they were part of the commonwealth of Israel that they were in. They were religious. They went to the temple. They brought sacrifices. They read the Torah. They observed the religious rites. I want you to notice, Jesus did not correct their statement. He did not say, no, 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 you're missing the point. Maybe you're not understanding what I'm saying. No, he drove it home further. Luke 13, 24 says, strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek and not be able to. This word strive cancels out easy believism. It's the word agonizomai, and it means to struggle, to compete for a prize, to contend with the adversary. You know what the adversary is? Self and the devil. It's to contend. It's to fight or labor, to fervently strive. It's where we get the word agonize. We agonize with the conviction of sin. We agonize over our flesh. We agonize over the the devil and and the ways of the world. It's a soul-searching moment in time. My time came when I had to agonize over my lifestyle that I was accustomed to. I was accustomed to partying every single night. I was accustomed to doing things that would not even be spoken of in church. I had to come to a soul-searching point where I had to decide my friends were not going the same path I was going down. I had to agonize over that. The vices that I found comfort in, I had to agonize over that. The, The things of the world that I absolutely love and endeared, I had to agonize over that moment because I realized that I could not fit it into the narrow gate. It's coming face to face with your own mortality and eternity. It's an honest assessment of who you are and where you are going. And I want you to understand this is not works. This is faith that produces a new lifestyle. When we make a decision to follow Christ, it's one of decisive thought and contemplation. Please don't mistake when we lead people in a prayer at the end of services. That it's not a prayer this pray, pray this prayer in your inn. It's a verbal, uh, assessment. It's, it's giving you the words to say to, to Jesus. But that prayer 
If you mean it in your heart and in your soul, it should produce a new lifestyle and appetite towards evil desires and towards the good things of life, which is following Christ. See, the agony comes in the denial. The agony comes in the counting the cost. The agony comes in the shifting of priorities. Now we seek God's ways above our own. We seek God's plans. We seek God's kingdoms. Kingdom. He becomes not only Savior, but he also becomes our supreme master. You will see yourself as God sees you. And if you get a right picture, it should drop us to our knees. There's no entering a narrow gate and walking on a broad way. Narrow is very intentional. Have, you cannot stumble in. Have you ever tried to fit something into something narrow? Now, point number two, there's the many or the crowd. Look, Luke 13, verse 24. It says, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able to. The many are the religious because they seek to enter. The many are the ones who have a religious bent. They have their own spirituality. The Jesus, it, me and Jesus have our own thing going on crowd. The religious that say, I believe in a higher power. I believe in a God. Maybe they switch God for the universe. You've heard this. They, many go to churches. They may even have a Bible. The context Many around him saw temporal sacrifices. They saw the holy days. They knew of the Ten Commandments. Religious Israel was a sight to see in those days. They obviously had an interest in Jesus because they were following him. The few is direct contrast to the many. Many in this country claim to be religious, right? They even claim Christianity as their faith. It's one thing to claim to be a Christian, but it's quite another thing to be a disciple and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must leave your baggage at the gate to squeeze through. When we take a baggage on a trip, we take it because we're intending to use it. That's what I mean. I'm not saying when you get to the gate, you're automatically perfect. I'm not saying that you don't bring in your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You do not come perfect or clean. But our desire is to start to loose these things on the narrow way. And I will add, you should see a loosening of these things as you walk it out. I want to encourage you to examine yourselves. To drop those things that so easily beset us. We enter into the narrow gate, which is justification, and then we walk on the narrow way, which is sanctification. But I'm here to tell you that that street leads to streets of gold and, and pearly gates where we see the King of kings and the Lord of lords high and lifted up where our faith will now end in sight. Amen? Point number three, our discipleship will be tested or a denial of self. Look what it says in verse 25 through 27. Now the large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So you will endure testing. Look at the many, the large crowds. It's easy to hide in the crowd, right? 
Many come to church and hide in the crowd. Even the church could be a crowd. This crowd was going with Jesus. Who wouldn't want to pastor a crowd, right? But Jesus turns to them, so he's walking, and he turns around, and he, us, he, he tells these words. If anyone comes to me, and then he goes on, and I will explain that in a minute. See, once again, if the crowd is a measure of success, then Jesus failed. His ministry was a failure. But we know that it's not the case. Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me, he'll stop right there. Jesus is saying, if we come to him, which means saving faith, following him, and now Jesus causes them to think, there will always be a testing of your faith. Always. You will always endure testing. If anybody told you that your Christian walk is going to be a cakewalk, you were lied to and sold a bit of goods. There must be a testing so you can know if your faith is real. God already knows. Look what it says in James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. How many of you know you need endurance in your Christian walk? That's why a lot of people are just falling away. They have no endurance. They can't make it through the testing. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect. That means mature, incomplete, lacking nothing. Remember, God tested Abraham with the sacrifice of his son Isaac. Remember, God tested the children of Israel in Deuteronomy for 40 years. Job went through a period of awful testing. And I could go on and on, but you get the point. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yet even his own life cannot be my disciple. Jesus uses the word hate here. Why? We just went through a Ten Commandments series, and it says to honor your father and mother, so it cannot be a, a complete hate towards them. Jesus is not contradicting his own word because he would, he would be guilty of sinning. What he's saying is, you are to hate, if it sounds like he's saying you are to hate the people you love the most at first glance. But what it means is, in contrast to the love that we have for Christ, it looks like hate. Our love for Christ has to be so much higher than the person you love the most. Then he, then he proceeds and says, even your own life. This is not self-hatred. This was meaning our selfish ways our selfish ambitions, the things that are rooted in self, our, thing, our, our things that are rooted in self-pleasure, that we just drink down like water. Our flesh is constantly saying, feed me, feed me. The mentality of looking out for number one, the self-righteousness that we inherited at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everybody goes to the evil, but there's a knowledge of good. You see it operating in the world. The world's telling us what is good. You have your own sense of what is good. You have your own sense of morality. Listen, we are professional fig leaf sowers. We come out of the womb with a sewing needle in our hand. Matthew 10, 37 and 39, this is what Jesus was saying. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. For who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. For my sake. Not for the sake of being a good person. For the sake of morality. For the sake of a clear conscience. Not for the sake of culture but for the sake of Jesus. He was making a point. It's a Jewish idiom of preferring one over the other. They spoke in extremes. That's why when you see it in this gospel, you see it more clearly. It's a far superior meaning. In other words, if a family member asks you to do something that is contrary to Christ, your allegiance automatically kicks in. Sometimes a rift between believers and unbelievers will come. You err on the side of Christ. Some have an unbelieving spouse. You know exactly what that's like. But you stay rooted in the confidence that you have in Christ. A true disciple will be willing to pay the price. A true disciple. Remember, there were two would-be disciples that wanted to follow Christ, but one said, no, I can't because I have some money to get, and the other said, I have to bury my father. Remember that? Let me, let, let me get my inheritance. And Jesus said, no. It's a half-hearted, divided commitment to Jesus. And he says, no one after putting his hand to the plow is fit for the kingdom of God. See, we just say, come on in. Just everybody come in. That's not what Jesus is saying. There must be an agonizing point in your life where you come to face to face with the decision that you are making. Children in the Middle East are subjected to honor killings if they reject Jesus. I mean, if they reject their religion. See, it's, it's, it's about giving your soul to the master who created you, who knows what's best for you. It's his absolute lordship over your life. The phrase not worthy of me identifies the person who will not come to Christ because other meaningful relationships will be affected. No wonder they asked him, or ju they're just a few being saved. To turn your back on Judaism, to go into G to go with Jesus would cause you to be excommunicated from the community. Number four, lifelong following commitment. 14 verse 27, whoever does not carry his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Do you see these words? Cannot be my disciple. I'm not asking you when you started carrying your cross. I'm not asking you when you prayed a prayer. I'm not asking you when you came to the altar. I'm asking you if you're carrying your cross in 2023. Crucifixions happened long before Christ. So he's not talking about his cross. He's saying you carry your cross. This was a capital sentence. In other words, when you were sentenced in a crime, you were to carry your cross beam through the streets of Jerusalem from the judgment seat to the execution spot. And in God's judicial system, we are found wanting. That means no one is right before God aside from Christ. Do we ever think of this? When we see the person on the street, the family member, and we're like, man, they're just a good person. 
This has nothing to do with being right with God. What it was, it was a statement of agreement with the sinning, saying, I am guilty as charged, and I am walking out my condemnation before the judge. So what he's saying is when you come to Christ, you are agreeing with God's assessment of us, that we have been found in the, in the scales, and we come up wanting. We agree that we have fallen short of the glory of God. You must see yourself as God sees you. Have you done that? Or is God just a doting grandfather sitting in heaven with you on his lap and your life is already good and you just want it to be a little bit better? We cannot be disciples if that is our mentality. We see ourselves as one who is unable to please God on our best day. That is why we need Christ. And if, if that's not good enough, then Christ died in vain. He did not come to make good people better. He came to make dead men live. That's the goodness of the gospel. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were born on the street of Adam, condemned already. Jesus said, he who does not believe in me is already condemned. Already, the wages of sin is death. No one comes to the Father but by me. They do not come in the name of Buddha. That'll probably get me in trouble, but it's true. I need to specify. They do not come to the name of Confucius or any other name that is out there aside from Jesus Christ. That is not a narrow-minded statement. That is a biblical statement. God has given all judgment to the Son. He is Savior now or He is judge later. The Bible says that he who believes in Him has passed from judgment to life. We must carry our cross daily, the book of Mark says. That means at home, at work, at night. On the weekends, whether you read your Bible or did not read your Bible, every day is a lifelong commitment. We are redeemed from the ways of our forefathers. We are purchased by the blood of Jesus. We are dead to the world. The Bible says a friend of the world is an enemy of God. That means the way the world thinks, you see it all around you. This, this acceptance of a worldly morality is lulling people to sleep. This is a very sobering time. When we pass from a friend of the world, we become a friend of God. We come under the authority of God. We give our lives over to God who will now steward our life and guide us in all truth. We are bought off the slave block of sin. See, you were not on some block to self. You are either a slave to Satan and sin and the flesh, or you are a, a slave of God, which is a good thing because we have a good master. Right? You don't live for yourself. We, we think like, I'm good. If me and Jesus have our own thing or me in the universe, we're either a slave to sin and unrighteousness or we are where we belong to Jesus Christ. Once again, are there only a few being saved? Think about it. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, one of the most sobering verses 
and all of the Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There are people that are saying, Lord, Lord, and there might even be people in here today, tonight, that will hear those words. I'm coming back to the you. This is something that we must ask ourselves. This is not easy beliefism. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. Have any of you ever cast out demons? We're not just talking about people that have Bible study. We're talking about people that did the works seemingly of the Lord and performed miracles. And then I will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He didn't say at one point I knew you, but now I'm not sure who you are. That tells me that people think they're in. That's why it's so important to read the Bible, to allow the Bible to assess us. Where are you tonight? Luke 14, 28 through 30. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Or otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. If you're in construction or in remodeling, imagine having the plans drawn. You start tearing down the house. You haven't taken into consideration the labor, the people to, to help, the materials. You would just tear down the house. And from what Jesus is saying, everyone in town would ridicule you. Your business would suffer. You would look like a joke. You would look un undependable, unreliable. Jesus was a stonesman or a carpenter. He knew exactly what he was talking about. He's saying that people never count the costs. This is part of striving and agonizing into the gate. Are you seeing what I am trying to tell you tonight? So let me ask you a question. Have you counted the cost? Has your life changed since you came to know Christ? Are you following Christ in 2023? Once again, are there just a few being saved? The disciples are asking this because Jesus' teaching is so strong compared to what everybody was believing. Point number five, a lifestyle of surrender. Look what it says in Luke 14, 31 through 33. It says, or what king, this is the crowd he is talking to, when he sets out to meet another king, which is Jesus in battle. This is what it means. Will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and acts for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciples who does not give up his own possessions. Now think of this. You see how there's so many, you cannot be my disciple if. You cannot be my disciple if. Why was Jesus telling them this? We see that there is a battle in this world. Whether you see it or not, whether you agree with it or not, there is a battle. The Bible says in Acts 17, 30 through 31, therefore, having overlooked the time of ignorance, 
God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. He's not asking you to receive him into your heart. He is saying you must repent. You change your mindset towards sin, but you also change your mindset towards righteousness. We come to the end of ourselves. I know this is a hard message because people love their self. They love, they, they love their morality. The world hates this message. I hope no one in the church hates this message. I am giving you the words of Jesus. It says, because he has fixed a day. That means there is a day on the calendar of heaven in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, if you are a king with 10,000 people, and you see another king coming with 20,000, you would be a fool to 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 want to be in that battle. The king of kings is coming. And he has sent the terms of peace. We just read about it. The merciful king wishes that none would perish. Think about it. What are the terms of peace? Following him, commitment, a surrendering of our life. Wherever he leads, we will go. We lay down our weapons of self-righteousness in the dust of the feet of the king. And we pick up his righteousness. We pick up his love, his joy, his patience, his goodness, his kindness. We lay down the wages of sin and we pick up the wages of righteousness, which is eternal glory. We trade dirt for diamonds. We trade trinkets for crowns of glory. I feel like a Baptist tonight. <laughs> Luke 14, So then none of you may be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. What does that mean? Once again, think of the question. Are there just a few being saved? Do you see why this looks very derogatory or negative? Or do you see what Jesus is doing? He's separating the crowds. What does it mean to give up our possessions? It means we go from owner to steward. We steward our children for Christ. We steward our possessions for Christ. We steward our finances for Christ. We steward our bodies for Christ. Our body is the temple of the living God. Our time is now vested into the kingdom of God. Why do you think it says, think about this statement. What good is it to gain the whole world and yet lose your own soul? Your soul is the most valuable thing on planet Earth. Have we ever thought about this? Are you seeing why it is shrouded and are, are just a few being saved? How many of us has really stopped and evaluated our own life according to these verses? The crowd has just been following, and Jesus is showing them, are you a sheep or are you a goat? Are you a wheat or are you a tear? The Bible wants you to know. 
The Bible does not want you to be surprised. The Bible wants us to have confidence in our salvation. The Bible doesn't want us turning around on our bed, drinking Maalox, wondering if I am in. The Bible, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the Holy Spirit is giving us his word so we can line ourselves up with Christ. What about you tonight in 2023? I'm asking you, are you born again? Have you come to know him? Have you surrendered your life before him? This is a fresh time, a new time to, to examine ourselves, to see if we are in the faith. And I'm telling you, we don't all have this licked. Are we dropping our baggage as we are walking? Are we holding on to it and say, well, God is gracious. God is merciful. He won't know if I stick this in my bag. And listen, God wouldn't tell you to do something if he didn't give you the power and self-discipline through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to do something a little different tonight as we close. I'm telling you, I looked over this for my own life. And I'm here to tell you tonight, this is not a hard message, really. It's, it's the gospel. We come to the end of ourselves. Do we struggle? Absolutely. Will we fall short? Absolutely. The Bible says that if we sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all of our sin. Listen, and that's every single time. Like I always tell you from up here, if you don't quit, God will not quit. You continue moving forward. You, you fall, you get up, you dust yourself off. You don't sit here and say, well, that's just how I am. That's just how my, my generational uh, curse, I, 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 that's just what I inherited from my forefathers. Listen, you have a new father. You have a new father. You inherit his ways. So I just want to offer this to you tonight. I don't want to have necessarily a time where we pray over you. I want to end with a specific story. There was a man that was preaching and he gave an altar call and he asked for people to come forward that, that needed help, that were in, in bondage or struggling or convicted of sin. And he called them forward. And there was the prayer team that was just waiting to go and lay hands on this person, waiting to, to, to help them in their situation. And then he said that one of them came anyway and went lay hands on the person that was on their knees praying. And he said, stop, go back to your seat. Do not comfort what God is breaking. Sometimes I believe we can get in a way and try to make you think like everything is fine. It's all good. And, and, and I think that's what we do sometimes. We just come for comfort because our flesh just wants to be told that everything's fine. Listen, I want to open the altars for you to come tonight and just kneel before the Lord and examine yourself and give your, I want you to make your way. If you feel like this is speaking to me, I want to come and give my life to Christ, maybe for the first time or for, for the thousandth time. You're saying, I don't have it licked. 
I'm not where I should be, but I want to be made right with God, or I want to move as as we go into 2023. I want to take what the Lord has said to me, and I want it to penetrate my heart, and I want to apply this. And I don't think that anybody in here has it licked, right? I'm telling you, I was on my face before the Lord. And I want to open it up to you. If you could say, I need more of a commitment in my life. I have entered the narrow gate, but I feel like I'm walking on the broad way. I feel like I am not serving the Lord as I should be. I feel like I've just taken the Lord in salvation and put it in the back of my mind. And I am not walking as I should. Today's a new day. This is a new season in your life. Have you turned to Christ? Have you put your own trust and hope in the Lord? Are you closer to the Lord than you've been in years past, in months past? Are you growing in Christ? Are you striving to love Him more? I'm pleading with you. Have you counted the cost? Come on, let's take a time to worship the Lord. And I want Him to do some work in our life. I believe the Holy Spirit is here.
down in your hand. What, does, what is God saying? Surrender this right now. Maybe it's a sin that you've been struggling with. Maybe it's a relationship. Come on, can you surrender that to God? You know if God has been telling you. you, you, you that still small voice that is not demanding. That still small voice that is nudging you. Come on, don't, don't disregard that voice. That's the key to growing in Christ. Come on, are you following Him? Are you surrendered to Him? different than it did in 2022 in your life if you want more of God you have to surrender yourself you have to surrender you have to get the flesh out of the way you have to lay the flesh down and pick up the spirit of God I believe God's gonna show you things in his word I believe that God is gonna show you things during worship that before you even hit the first note the spirit's gonna show up Come on, do you receive that tonight? Listen, it's not business as usual, as I said last week. I don't know if you can sense it, but God is wanting to do some great and mighty things in your life. This world is going to get darker and darker and darker. I can promise you, it is not turning around. God is detaching us right now and, and keeping our gaze towards the thing of heaven. I believe that he's given you new assignments tonight. I believe we've been pushing things away and saying, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. But I think God wants you to know that this is of first importance. And whatever God is calling you to do, I want you to step out in obedience in 2023. If it's a conversation that you need to have with someone, I believe now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. 
you might be here and you do not know the Lord, I want to give you an opportunity. Just simply slip your hand up right now. And I want to pray the prayer of faith over you. Praise you, God. Good. We're in a room full of believers. Let me pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we need your power. We need your anointing, God, to accomplish, to finish strong what you have called us to do in this world. And Lord, we're asking right now for the gifts, Lord, to flood our minds and our hearts. God, the callings that you have upon our life, God, we ask right now that you would revive it on the inside of us. Father, as we take on your assignment, Lord, I'm asking that you would give your church boldness and power and might right now in this auditorium and those that are watching, Lord, as they embrace their assignments. Father, I pray for clarity. I pray for direction, Lord. I pray for the Spirit of God to rest mightily upon every single person that is under the sound of my voice. God, I thank you that you are calling us to a deeper level of surrender. You are calling us to a deeper level of power. God, I believe that with every ounce in my being that you are not in heaven just twiddling your thumbs, but you are showing us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And if you could say, I want to be in the harvest, I want to be a worker, just simply lift, lift up your hand. Every hand in here should be up or you have not listened to the assignment. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You preach the gospel with words and in, in, in the life that you live. And we are either drawing people to Christ or we are drawing them away from Christ. Come on, let's repent right now. God, we repent of anything that is standing in the way of your glory. We repent of anything, Lord, that is, that is pushing us away from you, Lord. God, I pray for clarity upon the, the minds of your people. Lord, if there is anything that they must lay down before the King of Kings, before the throne of the, the Most High God, Father, I pray right now that you would bring it to their mind, that they would repent, Lord, and walk out of here with a clear conscience. They would walk out of here with a cleansed soul. We know that you are faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, God. Father, we will never hear is our prayer, depart from me, worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. Father, we want to know you more and more. Father, we thank you that you made a way through the blood of Jesus that every single person that hears the gospel call can come in, Lord. And Father, we thank you right now that we declare that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise you, God. Now, Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you that you have empowered us to live this life for you, God, that you did not give us your word to disappoint us or to discourage us, but to empower us, to show us our right and our wrongs, Lord. Father, I thank you that it is a mirror, that, it is a, it, that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, and that it is dividing the, the, the bone from the marrow, God. And Lord, I thank you right now that your merciful, mighty uh, 
ways, Lord, are being shown to us tonight. Father, I pray that when people leave this time tonight, Lord, when they walk away from this church and they get in their cars and they go home and they go to bed, Lord, that they will sense your presence. They know that your your presence is not left here at the altar, but it will go with them, Lord. And God, I pray as they begin to loose these things that you are calling them to loosen, Father, that your glory, your grace, your might will grow and emerge on the inside of them. That is my prayer right now for each and every one of you. Do you receive that? Come on, receive the free gift of pardon. Forgive, for, receive the gift of joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, power from on high. Father, I pray that the fire of God would rest upon your people, Lord, as they continue to surrender their lives and their wills before you. God, I thank you that you are great and mighty in this place, in our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And the church said, amen and amen. Praise God. Praise God. Can we finish something with victorious? (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) Praise you, God. Well, listen, let me bless you as you leave. Father, I just bless your people tonight. I pray that you would make your face shine upon them. God, that you would guide them in all truth that you would guide them by your grace, by your might. And Father, flood their hearts with love and might. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen and amen. Come on, you're dismissed, amen. Praise God. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here.